Hello and welcome to Arthur Pentecostal Assembly Church Online. My name is Justin and I'm the Family Ministries Pastor here. And I'm so excited to be uh, here with you today, sharing part three of our current series, Lost in Translation. Now, the main premise of this series, Lost in Translation, is that we're taking phrases that, you know, those who have grown up in church or who have been in church long enough would be pretty familiar with, but uh, to, to, to break down what these phrases mean and where they come from. You know, these phrases are sometimes called Christianese terms. And, well, it isn't really until you try to use one around somebody who didn't grow up in the same way as you that you realize that they often aren't as intuitive as you might initially think they are. So the term or a phrase that we're going to be looking at today is the phrase, in Jesus' name. Now, this phrase seems fairly straightforward. We often say it when we're closing out a prayer before we say amen. Like, you know, we say, like, hey, God, thank you for today. We pray that you bless um, this food in Jesus' name. Amen. And some of us might know exactly why we say it. And others might just do it completely out of habit. But and, um, the significance of it goes a lot deeper than what is initially obvious. It's more than just a tra uh, tradition. It's more than just something that we do. It really is rooted in scripture in multiple different ways. But a, a name is a special thing. You know, it's how we identify each other and the people around us. And you know, everything and anyone has a name. Writer Dale Carnegie, in likely his most famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, uh, which is a staple in, in how to do well in interpersonal relationships and in business, and lot, lots of different people read and learn from this book. And in it, he says that a person's own name is the sweetest sound that they can hear. Now, he suggests using people's names when you talk to them, and as it helps strengthen those relational bonds, how, you know, it's people like hearing their name. It, it, it's good. It's, it makes you more likable as well. And while nothing can be more exciting or hopeful as to hear your own name, nothing can also bring about more fear, anxiety, or dread in certain situations either. For myself, as an introvert, I think back to moments in grade school and high school and also university where you know a teacher might be asking the class a question and looking to provide for people to provide responses. And you know, the situation was either a, I didn't know the answer, or B, which was most of the time, I was just more than content to be quiet and stay out of the spotlight. In, these, in those moments, the worst possible thing that I could hear would be my name. I did not want to have to talk in front of the class. And even worse would be, you know, if I was in class, and, you know, but this barely ever happened, of course. Seldom the case. But, you know, from time to time, I might check my phone no, even though I was clearly just texting my mom, you know, I was not looking at social media. I was not, you know, texting friends. I was not playing games ever. We would never do that in class, of course. But in that moment, there was nothing more stressful you can hear than my name. It was absolute panic. Nothing can be more irritating to somebody, too, than somebody continually saying your name wrong or mispronouncing your name. Now, I'm a pretty forgiving person when it comes to not messing up my name. I mean, just look at my last name. Yep. Uh, 
I don't expect anybody ever to be able to say it right the first time. In fact, my own family had been saying it wrong my entire life. It wasn't until I met my wife, Haley, that I actually learned how to say my own name. See, my family always said that the P was silent. They would just say, it's Hasenflug, Hasenflug. Um, but the P isn't actually silent. It's just awkward to say. Yeah. In, in fact, it's pronounced Hasenflug. Flug. Flug. It like, legitimately takes practice. I sometimes still can't do it the first time I try. But, you know, I also have quite a bit of grace when it comes to my first name. See, you know, Justin is not nearly as difficult to pronounce as Hasenflug. But the thing is, I have two brothers. And the older one, I'm older than both of them, but the older one's name is Josiah, and the younger one's name is Jonathan. And so right there, that's, that's three J names right off the top. But to top it all off, my father's name is James. So as if my mom didn't have a hard enough time already living in a house full of guys, she is also now just spitting off J names when we're misbehaving like she's going through a Rolodex until she lands on the right one. And, you know, because of that, I'll pretty much respond to any J name without too many issues. You know, Justin, Jonathan, Josiah, James, Jason, Jaden, uh, Jared, like, you know, it's, it's whatever. I'm good. However, there is this one individual I know who would repeatedly say my name wrong. Like, they, they would use the wrong name and it would just drive me absolutely nuts. Now, this was a person who, you know, I didn't know them super well. I didn't see them all the time. But, you know, we came in contact with each other regularly enough and often enough. And, you know, we'd have meaningful interactions. Our conversations would go more than just like, oh, hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Like, we'd have actual conversations. Like, we knew who each other were. And it just, it, it got to the point where it just felt like, they would say my name wrong on purpose every time for some weird reason. Now, it seems really insignificant. I kind of feel silly saying it out loud right now even. Like, it really shouldn't matter that much. But it got to the point where, like, I would rather him just, like, insult me, just, just call me idiot, um, rather than just, like, it, it just ate away at me for some reason. It's, it's the power of a name. And I can only imagine how difficult that would be for people who have, you know, actually difficult to pronounce or difficult to read names. No, that, would just, that would drive me nuts eventually. And our names are also significant. In the Old Testament, we see several instances of people having their names changed when something um, important happens in their lives. And we see people being named prophetically as well, having their names mean something for what's going to come in their life. See, my name, Justin, means justice or fair. And anyone in my family can attest that injustice really gets under my skin in a really special way. No, my name seems to have significance for me in that way as well. Names also carry with them power, authority, and privilege. And when you sign a document, an agreement, or, or a check, you, know, you sign that with your name, it becomes legally binding. It now means something. And when you're told to do something at work and your supervisor questions it, saying something like, oh, the boss's name just told me to do this. And that usually ends that conversation right there. You know, if they continue to have a problem with that, they can go talk to the boss at that point. 
And this one's really cool. If you've looked through your passport, if you've read all the pages, you'll find a page with a note on it, if you're a Canadian citizen, that reads, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Canada requests, in the name of Her Majesty the Queen, all those to whom it may concern, to allow the bearer to pass freely without delay or hindrance, and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. In the name of Her Majesty the Queen, that's what it says. So when we travel, you know, it's not us asking for a foreign country to allow us in, uh, entry and extend hospitality. Like we're passing our passport. That's 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 our invitation. It's it's not us asking. It's not our prime minister. It's it's not our minister of foreign affairs. But it's the minister of foreign affairs asking in the name of the queen. I think that's pretty cool. This reality that there's power, authority, and privilege that comes with the name is a part of why we close prayers by saying, in Jesus' name. But it's rooted deeper and more specifically than just that. See, this idea of praying in Jesus' name comes mainly from the Gospel of John. It comes repeatedly in the Gospel of John. See, the Gospel of John is the fourth gospel listed in the New Testament, and it's the written account of the disciple who is known as the disciple who Jesus loved. Now, if Jesus' closest followers, he was part of the you know, inner circle, closest group, and he's said to be the closest to Jesus out of that group as well. And about two-thirds of the way through the Gospel of John, Jesus has a moment where he really spells out for his disciples who he is, and he tells them that he is God, that he is the way to get to the Father. In John chapter 14, we get the famous saying of Jesus. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. And while Jesus is explaining this, he also tells his disciples some devastating news. See, Jesus tells them that he's going to leave them and to go to prepare a place for them with the Father. And he'll come back for them later. Now, if you're familiar with the story and the life of Jesus, if you, if you know it well, I think you to you know, forget what you know about the end just for a moment. To really sit in the tension of the story, to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. See, just imagine that. Imagine being in the shoes of the disciples. You don't know what's going to come. And you've been following this guy around for a couple years now. You've been seeing him do amazing things. Stuff you couldn't have even imagined before. You've been changed by his teaching, and now you've just heard that he is actually God. That's amazing, but in the same breath, he's telling you that he's going to leave you. Jesus' followers must have been in a frenzy. Now, to go from that amazing news of, of hearing that Jesus is God to some of the worst news possible, that he's going to leave you. Now, that kind of jump, it's not ideal. Now, I can't speak for all of us, but I know if I'm talking to somebody and they come up to me and say, hey, Justin, I've got some good news and some bad news. What do you want first? Every day of the week, I'm going to say, hey, give me the bad news and then give me the good news. I'm going to take that bad news first every time. That's not the way Jesus gets it. He gave me some great news, but this sucks. But that's where this chapter is so cool because Jesus isn't done there. He still has some good news to tell. 
And while bad news than good news, or while good news than bad news isn't great, getting a, a, a good news, bad news, good news sandwich, that's phenomenal. And that top piece of, you know, fluffy, delicious, good news bread that Jesus finishes it off with is what we're going to be reading here in John 14, verses 12 to 14. Here Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's amazing. Ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Greater works. It's incredible. And here Jesus is foreshadowing the moment after he dies, when he's going to raise back to life, and then he's going to ascend back to the Father, and he's going to send the Holy Spirit to come and empower the church. He's telling his disciples essentially that they have not seen anything yet, and that the best is yet to come. See, Jesus knows that his own limitations from inhabiting a single body, which what he's choosing to do in this moment, Jesus is just a single person on earth, is going to keep him from doing as much as he knows that his church will be able to do as they grow and multiply and expand across the earth. He knows that their reach will be far greater with the Holy Spirit than with him alone. So this is an important and amazing thing that's going to come. And this is where we got this idea of asking in Jesus' name. But there are three important things to note in what Jesus is saying here. See, he only says a few sentences, but there's a lot packed in what he's communicating. First thing is that Jesus tells his disciples that he, they will do greater works than he does. That means that, you know, the power that will come by the Holy Spirit is not a secondary power. It's not like a discount power. They won't be running around like little budget versions of Jesus doing half miracles and like little tricks. But they will be able to do greater things than Jesus did. That this plan that God has for them is better than what they currently have. And it's the best option for them and for humanity moving forward. The second thing, Jesus says that whatever they ask for the Father in his name will be given to them. You know, He's saying that he is still relevant in the situation. That just because he's gone away doesn't mean he doesn't matter. That Jesus is still key. No one comes to the Father except for through him. And no one does greater works except by his name. He's communicating that there still needs to be a relationship there. That we still need to know Jesus. And the third thing, and this is the one that we probably don't talk about as much when we say or the thing that we don't think about as much when we say in Jesus' name. And that's what the, the purpose of this power is. And that is so that the Father will be glorified through the Son. But what does this mean? Well, this means that there are conditions to in Jesus' name. It means that you cannot just say in Jesus' name at the end of any prayer and expect it to just happen. In James uh, 4, verse 3, James gives some extra clarity to this. In James 4, Jesus' brother James is writing to the church about praying in Jesus' name, and he explains this condition. I'm assuming 
people probably had, and we experience this now, people were probably praying and saying in Jesus' name and nothing happened. And they were like, what's up with this? And Jesus communicates it here in John, but here James spells it out a little clearer. James 4 verse 3 says, And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what gives you pleasure. See, when we pray in Jesus' name, it's not supposed to be about us, but it's supposed to be about him. Shocker, I know. In Jesus' name is about Jesus. That means when I pray, Lord, please give me a brand new truck. In Jesus' name. That's probably not going to happen. And it's if it does, it's certainly not going to happen just because I said the magic words or something like that. Sure, God can be glorified through me miraculously getting a truck. It could happen. And sure, I can convince myself that I'm only asking for that because I want God to be glorified more than I want a truck. But the thing is, God is God. And God is the one who gets to decide how he wants to be glorified. So just because I can twist it in a certain way to make it make sense and kind of try to fit myself through the spiritual loophole to see it glorifies you, God, that doesn't mean that it's how it's going to be. God can see through that. God knows. And God gets to choose how he will be glorified. We don't get to choose that. There are three things that we need to be aware of when coming before God and praying in the name of Jesus to be doing it properly. The first thing is that we need to know Jesus. The second thing is that we need to know his character. And the third thing is that we need to be glorifying the Father. The first thing, we need to know Jesus. The first thing Jesus says in just about any passage in the Bible that talks about God answering our prayers is that there needs to be a relationship with Jesus first. You know, in John 14, we just read it, it talks about believing in Jesus, that we need to believe in Jesus. In John 15, it says that we need to abide in Jesus. But either way, the relationship with Jesus is key. Now, I'm not saying that there is no way that God will ever answer a prayer that from somebody who is far from him. I'm not saying that he'll never answer prayer from someone who doesn't know him at all. You know, he, he can totally do that. It's, it's totally possible. But what I am saying is that when it comes to the certainty of an answered prayer, the closer we are to Jesus, the more certain we can be that our prayers will be answered. But this is a little different than it sounds initially. See, at surface level, it can sound like if we get close enough to Jesus, he will give us anything we want. You know, if we can just know Jesus enough, pray enough, read the Bible enough, be close enough to him, then he has to do what we ask. But in reality, what this is saying is that if we get close enough to Jesus, we will only want what he will give us. See, the closer we are to Jesus, the better we will know what to pray for. And the more we will be guided by the Holy Spirit into situations where a miracle is needed, where an act of God is necessary, where God will be glorified in that situation. The closer we are to Jesus, the more we will know his will. The closer we are to Jesus, the more we will be aware of what to pray for. And that brings us to the second point. We need to know Jesus' character. See, God is not going to do anything that is outside of his character. We cannot convince him to do something that is 
apart from his character. The, the more we know the character of God, the more we will be in tune with the will of God. There is no magic selection of words or order of words that we can say that will ensure that our prayers will be answered. Now, that's what in Jesus' name sounds like, but it's more of a map or a filter to run things through. It's more of a lens that we need to, to look through. And as we draw near to Jesus, the more we're able to see through that lens, to read that map, and to, and to see things through that filter every day. Finally, the third thing is we need to be glorifying the Father. In John 14, Jesus clarifies that the purpose of answered prayers, the, 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 he specifies that the whole reason that we will do more on earth than he did is so that the Father will be glorified. You know, the situations that we ask for spiritual, mental, and or physical breakthrough in should be situations that glorify God first and foremost. We're not here to serve ourselves. We don't pray for selfish reasons. We pray so that God will be glorified. Now, some of you might be listening to this and you know, you've got prayers that you've prayed that weren't self-serving. That by all means seemed like ways that God could have been glorified in. And it still didn't go the way that you had hoped. You know, you might have questions like, you know, how could this happen? Was I not close enough to God? Did God not feel like healing that day? And the answer is no. It's not because you weren't close enough to God. And it's not because God didn't feel like it. When it comes to things like this, there is just a mystery to God that we cannot fully understand. But there was a quote from the Youth Alpha series that, really stuck with me in the episode on healing. I'm pretty sure it was on healing. It was either on prayer or healing. And in it, there was a pastor who was featured, and what he had to say about prayer for healing was this. He said, before we didn't pray, and no one was healed. Now we pray, and sometimes people are healed. So we will continue to pray. When we pray for nobody... Nothing happens. I mean, that, that, that makes sense. But when we pray for people, sometimes things happen. And so, I mean, there's no cost to prayer. We don't have to, you know, put a dollar in the prayer jar every time we pray. It doesn't, doesn't take a, a year off your life or something. So, so we can pray freely. We can pray uh, consistently. We can pray openly. We can pray for, for anything and everything. But it's, it's, it's the closer we are to Jesus, the more we know his will, the more we will be able to discern and be guided to the specific things that he would have us to pray for. Let's bring this back to the passport example. Now, uh, I'm not going to be able to get into just to any country at all. I'm not going to be able to get into any country just because my passport says the Queen says so. I'm not even going to be able to get into another Commonwealth country like England or Australia where their head of state is the same as ours is the same very person who's asking me entry into the country just because it says that on my passport. See, I still need to be respectful of the rules of entry to those countries by answering the questions they have at the border, by not bringing illegal substances with me, by you know, being respectful. And that that's, goes along with, you know, to ask in the name of anyone, the person's name who you're asking in needs to be respected. You know, if I were to go to the border and just be belligerent and ridiculous and have 
tons of things that I shouldn't have with me and, and not answer the questions, be, be not cooperative. You know, I'm, I'm dishonoring my name. I'm dishonoring my family's name. I'm misrepresenting my country. And I'm also disrespecting the name of the queen at that point, who is, you know, asking me entry despite, you know, me not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm doing my part. And in the same way, in Jesus' name goes further than just prayer. In Jesus' name is how we live every day of our lives. But this idea hasn't always been used in a positive way. All through history, people have managed to find ways to twist the Bible and, and ideas in it, to do horrible things, and, and they, they claim it to be in the name of Jesus. You know, oftentimes there are genuine good followers of Jesus who are involved in these things, who had good intentions, who maybe felt that the ends would justify the means, or maybe it's the good followers of Jesus who followed through with a bad idea and it, it worked out, it was harmful. When sometimes there are people who use the genuine motivations of followers of Jesus to twist what God says in this book to accomplish their own selfish ideas that are counter-gospel and anti-Christ. It's happened time and time again. But this idea of, in Jesus' name, what it means to respect that and follow that in a deeper sense than just to end a prayer with it, goes all the way back to Exodus in the Old Testament. Here, Moses receives the Ten Commandments from God, and the third commandment was, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. This has been many, taken in many directions over thousands of years. You know, Israel ceased from saying the name of God to ensure that it would not be uttered in vain by accident. They took it very, very literally. You know, they stopped saying it so long ago that all we have now is our best guess as to how it should be pronounced. Because ancient Hebrew has no markings for vowel sounds. So all we have is the consonants, and they stopped saying it for so long that we don't actually know 100% how it's supposed to be pronounced. You know, today in our culture, saying, oh my God, or shouting Jesus Christ when we stub our toe is what we consider using the Lord's name in vain. And while I'm certainly not saying to do those things, I, I totally believe that those are part of it, that that is disrespectful, that you know, we shouldn't be saying things like that. But when we live our lives counter to the character and will of God, when we do not glorify God in all that we do, and especially, especially when we do something against the gospel message in the name of God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the church, or in the name of Christianity, we are using the Lord's name in a way that God despises far more than just saying it improperly or rudely. You know, to think of an example of this, I'm reminded of just this past week. We had Orange Shirt Day where we as a country remember the atrocious sin committed against the indigenous peoples of this land with the residential schools that were operating from 18, the 1870s all the way through to the last one closing in 1996. The things that were done in these schools were horrifying. And even just conceptually, like the, the bare minimum of it, removing children from their families is one of the worst things that I can imagine doing and doing it to an entire people. It's just horrifying. And this was something that the church in Canada was very much a part of. It was something that was done in the name of the gospel, furthering the gospel message. It was something that people got behind. They believed it was the right thing to do because people had convinced them of that, you know, whether it was 
for reasons that people genuinely thought were good or for others. Um, we can't say that for sure. We weren't there. And, you know, I know none of us here were personally responsible. Um, I know the Pentecostal movement wasn't really involved in this. We came during that, and it was more so the traditional historic churches of, of Canada that were actively involved in these. And hey, for, for myself, even the majority of my ancestors were still in Europe for the majority of this. But even still, I am personally deeply grieved by the reality of it. You know, I'm sorry as a Canadian and as a Christian that it ever happened. And I'm confident that God would not have desired this to happen at all. But the fact that his name was attached to it must make that so much worse for him. I'm a firm believer in the power of prayer. And I believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. But, to quote, to quote Uncle Ben from Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. So let us do right by the name that is above every name. Let us honor the name that has saved us from every sin. And let us hold his name up high and exalt him above everything. We need to know Jesus deeply. We need to honor him in all that we do. When we pray, when we truly pray in the name of Jesus, we can have confidence that he will move. So let's not use the name of Jesus in vain, in prayer, in saying, or in action. Let us glorify the Father instead, because in Jesus' name is not just a saying. It's not just a charm or spell or a way to trick God to do what we want. It's a responsibility and a command. It's a command to know Jesus, to have a relationship with him. It's a command to honor his will and his way, to know his character deeply. And it's a command to glorify God in all that we do. So let's, as a church, be a good example of what it means to be called Christians. Let, let us wear that name proud. Let us do it justice. Let's let our actions, our prayers, our thoughts, our words communicate the love of Christ and the gospel message in everything that we do. That the name of Jesus would stand above every name. That there wouldn't be an accusation that could go against it. And that the, we would wear that name with honor and pride and do it justice. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your name. Thank you for your name, that, that, that there's power in your name, that there's salvation in your name. Thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross on our behalf. Thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, that we're able to do greater than even Jesus could do. Honor. Thank you that, that you've entrusted this and your mission to us as the church in this world, God. And we pray that you give us the strength, the guidance, and the wisdom to wear that name with honor, with pride, to do it justice, God. God, we pray for the power of your name in this world, in this community, in our lives, God, that we would see you move on a daily basis, God. 
Lord, pray for, for the discernment to see past those who might use your name in ways that would not be honoring who you are. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for everything that you've done. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.